two. And drilled the left center field. Grand slam, George Springer. Well, if you don't think this team has a lot of confidence right now, you are sadly mistaken. They are playing with a lot of confidence, and Springer delivers a huge hit. 3-2 count. Bases loaded. Everybody's running. He didn't overswing. He just put a nice swing on it. And he's rewarded with another home run. His 18th of the season. And the Blue Jays have put up a five spot here in the bottom of the sixth. What a swing by Springer. Wow. Good afternoon. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That was the call of George Springer's big grand slam last night. And, of course, on top of the Jays' 10-3 victory over the St. Louis Cardinals, so great to hear Buck Martinez back on the call, to see him in the booth with Dan Schulman, to see the response the crowd gave him and the Blue Jays themselves gave them. Uh, awesome, awesome night down at Rogers Center on and off the field. 10-3 victory. Jays have now won 9 of 10. They're 8-1 and one under John Schneider. If the Jays win tonight, Schneider becomes just the third manager ever in baseball history, go 9-1 and one over his first 10 games. Pretty good time for the team to turn it around. They'll have to do it against Adam Wainwright, but they've got Kevin Gosman on the mound. We'll see if those bats can stay hot. They are the best offense in baseball over the last 60 days by almost literally every offensive stat. They're the number three offense in baseball on the season, and they now have a four and a half game cushion on the wild card. That's not how much they're up on the next team, but on the first team out, which is the most important thing if you're looking to just clinch a wild card spot. Jose Barrios, uh, solid, if uns- a little unspectacular last night. Uh, we got a fun show today. Dan Schulman's going to join us in a moment. Adnan Verk, Ricky Romero later. Uh, you can send your texts into 590-590 if you've got questions or takes on the Jays surging here. And I'm sure I don't need to remind any of you, but we're less than a week from the trade deadline. That goes Tuesday. Uh, first, let's bring in the voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet, Dan Schulman. How are you, Dan? I'm great, Blake. How you doing? Very good. Um, Last night, uh, an emotional one with the return of Buck Martinez. You uh, as a colleague and a counterpart for him, how how special a night was last night? Uh, Very. Beyond words. Hard for me to put into words. Uh, I mean, he's been a part of this city uh, and the baseball in this city for the better part of 40 years. You know, he came here in 1981 as a player, became a broadcaster, became the manager, um, and then he was gone for a few years, but then back for, I don't know, the last, uh, however, 15, 18 years, whatever it is. So this is like his second home. And, um, you know, he's family for a lot of people here, right? Everybody knows him. Um, you know, you can't, if he walks by, everybody sees the hair, right? Mike <laughs> has no privacy whatsoever. He's got the best hair in the business. So, um, but it was great. You know, first and foremost, the fact that he was here means he's feeling good, right? Mm-hmm. means the treatment went well and he's healthy. And that is, of course, by far the most important thing. But he missed being here so much. Uh, I cannot tell you how many emails and texts Abby and I have gotten over the last three months, in-game, pre-game, before the game, you know, all the time. Um, a funny little story, when Tapia hit the inside the park Grand Slam hmm. uh, in Boston. So the first thing I'm wondering about is, has, has any Blue Jay ever done that before? And I mean, 10 seconds after he hit it, <laughs> Buck sent me a text and he said, Junior Felix, 1989, also at Fenway. Like, unbelievable. And, and he was there. He remembers it. So, you know, he's an, an enormous part of the baseball culture in this city and across the country. And so it was great to have him back. 
Yeah, and you mentioned the the hair and how he stands out. In the studio here, I've got the feed up that shows batting practice or guys warming up or whatever. And Matt Chapman was just taking some hacks. And I look in the crowd and there's there's Buck chatting it up, watching watching BP from down there. It's yeah. just it's just nice to see him around uh, again on top of everything else. Um, Dan, one more on Buck. The players being a part of that tribute in that moment for him how much did that mean to Buck? I, I know, you know, there are other shows where, where we'll get to ask him uh, himself, but you were there for that. You were right beside yeah. him. Uh, I have to imagine that was really special for him. It, it was. You know, what's interesting is uh, Doug Walton, our producer, and I, you know, we knew what was going, we, we knew from the Blue Jays what was going to happen. We knew how we wanted to cover it. We didn't know if Buck knew about this tribute. We didn't know if he knew it was going to be up on the scoreboard. I couldn't find that out. In the moment. So it's like if you're not sure if it's a surprise party or not, you just assume <laughs> it's a surprise party. You don't want to be the guy who, you know, who blows it. So we did it. And as soon as we started doing it, I, I turned and looked at him and I could see he doesn't know. He didn't know. So he was overwhelmed by the whole thing. But I'll, I'll tell you, the players coming out of the dugout was incredible. But every postcard, every no postcard, what am I, 55 years old, every text message, you know, every email, every text message, every, uh, every message of any kind that he got from anybody, whether it was an ex-teammate or somebody who's battling cancer or somebody who knows somebody who beat cancer, you get my point. He, they, all, they were all meaningful, all of them in their own special, individual, memorable ways. So I think it meant a lot to him that the players – came out but i think it meant just as much to him that you know each man in the building uh, felt as warmly about him as well and the blue jays not only gave him the the tribute from the dugout but they gave him a heck of a game to return with uh the jays win 10-3 the offense is rolling right now i i guess for your purposes dan do we need to invent wider scorebooks at some point i saw you're like <laughs> you're trying to split every column into two yeah. uh what are we going to do about this offense from a uh, pen and paper side <laughs> So it's it's funny. So you saw it, and, and you know that after that game Friday night in Boston, I might have had like ten people on Twitter say, "Can you please show us your card? Post your, you know, tweet out your scorecard." And I went back to the hotel, and I'm looking at it, and it was a disaster, like an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> and I looked at it, and I said, "I can't do this." And then I woke up Saturday morning, and there were more people, and I said, "Okay." So I I touched it up, not not touched it up. I filled it in like I hadn't, you know, dotted all my eyes and crossed all my t's. So I kind of you know, got it to a, uh, a situation that I was a little less uncomfortable with and put it out. I've never seen reaction. Like I had like thousands of people were like <laughs> so interested in the, in the chaos of this scorecard. It was so funny to me, but you know, I guess people can relate. Um, you know, everybody scores games different ways. And I score mine the exact same way I did when I first scored a game, which was, I was probably about 11 years old. And the only reason I was doing that is because I played Stratomatic as a kid and I had to teach myself how to score. Or I went down to a Blue Jays game in 77 and I had to teach myself how to score. And I did it wrong, but that's how I do it. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and I had, it's funny, I had friends in the business text me and say, what does that seven mean there? Why do you have that? Like, I understand this, but what does that mean? And I said, don't copy me. Like, please do yourself <laughs> a favor. Don't, don't copy me. But th their offense has been amazing. And, and you know, they, listen, they've played – weaker teams or decent teams that are in a bad place uh the last few days teams without players whatever it is but you play who you play and they had the brutal part of their schedule back in april and now other teams are going through that now and their schedule's a little bit softer and i think we all knew they'd get better um i wasn't sure we'd see this and and, and one of the interesting things 
about this is you can still point to a couple of guys and say, well, he's not really hot yet. He's not really hot yet. Now, you're never going to get all nine guys or all 11 guys in the case of this team in terms of how many guys play hot at the same time. But, boy, like what they're getting at the bottom of the lineup, like when, you know, Gurriel's hitting over 400 this month, Chapman is quietly about as hot as anybody, and whether it's Jansen or Bishop down at the bottom of the whatever it is, it looks good right now. And, you know, two weeks ago, if you had said, what do, you, what do they need the most at the deadline, bullpen, starter, or offense, you could have made a pretty good case for any one of the three. I think it's pretty clear now that offense, at least a big change in the offense, that doesn't seem to be necessary right now. You know, it, it seems to be the pitching staff that needs that where it's where the moves are likely to be made. Certainly. And you mentioned, you know, those lower order guys chipping in and that helps insulate you from, Hey, George Springer's had a little bit of a cold stretch or, or Bo Bichette's having a bit of a, you know, down year by his standards at the plate. Well, when a cabin Biggio or Ryan Altapia are, are overperforming and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Reaches a new level. Uh, you can kind of paper over that a little bit. Um, you kind of answered it there, but when it comes to the trade deadline, do you think this front office will still look at say upgrading the Bradley Zimmer? spot or is that like so far from like i'm sure if a team was like hey you could have this guy for free that's one thing but um you're you're pretty comfortable if this was the 13 heading into a wild card series yeah i i well here's the thing about heading into a wild card series you're probably not going to have 13 pitchers on your on your uh, staff for a playoff series you would probably have 11 or 12 right which means you would have 14 or 15 in, in, in my opinion anyways which means you'd have 14, maybe even 15 position players. So there's room for other guys. And so maybe Zimmer's not your 13th guy, but maybe in October he's your 14th or your 15th guy. And those guys, every now and again, they have, they play a very specific but important role in a playoff series, whether it's going in defensively or coming in as a pinch runner or something like that. Like Dave Roberts was a, if I'm not mistaken, was a pinch runner when he stole that base when the Red Sox started the comeback against the Yankees and the ALCS. I mean, it doesn't happen often, but if you can find room for that guy on your roster, he can be useful. That having been said, do you want to upgrade that between now and October to get you to October? Zimmer's out of options. Would somebody take him? Yeah, you know, these are all the things that, that they think about. Um, I think there's a chance that they upgrade or that they make a move at either the Collins spot or the – the Zimmer spot. The Collins one is interesting to me too because you know most of the role that he's filling is it allows them to DH Alejandro Kirk and know they've got another catcher available if something goes wrong. If they have or if they have to pinch run for Kirk, you know you run Zimmer for Kirk and then you bring Collins in to catch if you had to, whatever the case may be. So um, I think they might look to to make some changes there. I don't think there are going to be any significant changes on the uh, position player side. Um, you know, who, if you brought in a really good left-handed batter, who's he taking at bats from? Exactly. Unless, unless you're trading somebody. Like, are you moving out, uh, make up the name? I don't even want to say anything. Are you moving out this guy to bring in that guy? That's a lot right now. So I think they're going to focus their energy on trading prospects for pitchers. I think that's probably where 95% of their, their time is being spent right now. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree with that. And you mentioned, you know, the Zimmer role being outsized. We don't even have to go back to Boston. Dalton Pompey stole four bases right. with only one exactly. plate appearance in 2015. Um, exactly. And the, the Collins yeah. thing could even resolve itself. Like, 
Gabriel Moreno is down in the minors because it doesn't make sense developmentally for him to not play a lot as a third catcher. But in a playoff series, if they think he's better than Zach Collins, you can go that route too. Um, well, and, then, and I'll, I'll even move it a little bit forward. You, the, the rosters expand by two players in September. Yep. So the trade, the trade deadline is August 2nd and September the 1st. You can go to 28. I would expect Gabriel Moreno to be on the team September the 1st. Maybe I'm wrong, but I, I think there's a, a good chance of that. And, and there are some guys at AAA, a couple of interesting left-handed bats, Nathan Lucas, Spencer Horowitz, guys like that, mm-hmm. who could help in a specific role, maybe offensively. I don't know much about Lucas playing center field, you know, but I, I think they're growing more comfortable with Tapia in center field not eighth or ninth inning up a run, then you throw Zimmer in there. But I think, you know, we all know Springer is going to get some partial days off and some full days off. And, and I think they're comfortable in that scenario with Tapia being out in center. But, you know, I think they can make some incremental improvements on the position player side. But the easiest, obvious place for them to address is the bullpen. And, and the, like, there are clearly guys out there who can help in a very <laughs> – you know, in a very easy to see rule in the bullpen, you go get, you know, one of the Detroit relievers or a Daniel Bard or a David Robertson, you're upgrading your bullpen. You know, everybody slides down a peg and now your third best guy is your fourth best guy. Your fourth best guy is your fifth best guy. And, and so, I mean, I mean, that's gotta happen. I think they've got to get at least one guy with swing and miss ability over the next six days. Yeah. I think that, that's the case as well. And we, we've heard talk about maybe they could be in the market for uh, a starter as well. And I think tomorrow is going to be really instructive in that regard where uh, we found out just just shortly before the show that Yusei Kikuchi will start tomorrow. So not to look ahead of tonight's matchup, but we know what Kevin Gosman is and where he slots into that rotation. Yusei Kikuchi is a big, big question mark. And yep. they're only going to get one start out of him before the deadline how much pressure is on that start tomorrow, not even for Kikuchi necessarily, but for this front office to make that decision of if they're comfortable with him as the fourth or fifth guy or if they've got to go out and address that? So Ross Atkins was asked that question, and he downplayed the urgency significance factor of tomorrow. Um, and, and, you know, is, is, he, is that 100% the truth? Is that 90% the truth? I, I don't know, but... I think I kind of agree with it. Like, let me ask you, if he went out and was great for six innings, is that enough for you to say they don't need to get a guy? Yeah. Ah, like, we've seen, we've seen this before, right? We've seen this roller coaster before. Yeah. So I, I think they need to get a guy, but I don't think they need to get, and I don't think they're going to get, Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas, Pablo Lopez. I mean, you know, obviously it'd be awesome to get those guys, but I don't know what their price tag is. But, you know, I, I think they're comfortable at the top end of the rotation. I think they feel really good about Manoa, Gosman, and even Barrios. You know, if you can get a, a Luis Castillo, great. You don't have to give up a, a heck of a lot to get him. I think they're more likely to get a back-end guy, and then you figure out, who's going to be your fifth starter, who's going to be your swing man, your long man, whatever. You know, you've got some off days coming up. You can go with four every now and again, although I'm sure they'd love to give Manoa an extra day here and there. They're, they're in an interesting spot. If they keep playing well, they might feel really good about their chances of getting in, but not feel realistic about their chances of catching the Yankees. And then, you know, so are you thinking about a guy to get you to October or thinking about a guy to help you in October? Those are two different things as well, but I'd like to see a kind of a back-end starter, a guy who's 
got some length. And whether he turns into, you know, what Ross Stripling was intended to be back at the beginning of the season or whether he becomes the fifth starter remains to be seen. The other reason to go get a guy is what if somebody gets hurt? And that you don't even like to say that out loud. But what, you know, what, what if somebody gets hurt? They, they need a guy. And, and um, so I would expect some sort of starting pitcher to come here, but maybe it's more at that, you know, Jose Quintana level than it is the Luis Castillo level. Yeah, Quintana's a name that I've kind of narrowed in on as well, where, you know, he has some recent experience out of the bullpen, but he's also been an effective starter. And, and, you know, what's the worst case if Kikuchi ends up figuring it out and Stripling's good and Quintana's good? Well, you get Ross Stripling back in the Ross Stripling role that he's so good in anyway. So um, not a lot of downside there other than the prospect side. Quickly before we let you go, Dan, um, Adam Wainwright, on the hill tonight, almost 41 years old, still doing this with that curveball. Man, where, where does a guy like Wainwright rank for you in terms of most fascinating guys you've covered over your career? Right at the top. And I know I'm going to get a little backlash tonight because I understand I'm broadcasting a game for mostly Blue Jay fans. Um, and it, it, I, I don't understand sometimes, though, because some of them get like angry if you talk about the guys on the other team more than they think you should. Adam Wainwright is a fascinating guy. He's had a heck of a career. He's a really cool guy. Like you said, he's almost 41 and he's out there pitching with an 89 mile an hour fastball. He's still got, I mean, he's had this curveball his whole career. You probably remember 2006. He's a rookie with the Cardinals. It was Wainwright who froze Carlos Beltran on strike three to win the NLCS. Like, he's a dude. He might not be a Hall of Famer, but he's, you know, he's in that next tier down. That's the kind of career that he's had, and he's done it the right way. He's been a great teammate. I wish Molina were here because then mm-hmm. we could tell all the Wainwright Molina stories about, you know, how long they've been together. But I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of guys come in and throw 99 with a hard slider and hope to throw strikes. This guy's out there. You know, he's more at the Zach Greinke end of the spectrum now because he's older and he doesn't have the velocity. He's out there thinking and playing chess and all that. And to me, that's a lot of fun. I I love that part of baseball. So uh, I'm looking forward to watching him pitch. I haven't called one of his games in several years, but... Um, I don't know how many people are older than him in baseball right now. Pujols is one of them. I don't know if anybody else is. I, I don't know if there is either. The The one thing I do have in front of me is he's going to cross the 2,500 inning mark very, very soon. Um, mm-hmm. Not tonight unless things go exceptionally well. But in today's era, that is just such a remarkable milestone to cross 2,500 innings. Uh, so I don't know. He, he might end up having the longevity where when he gets compared to his era, like he gets into the hall yeah. anyway. Um, Dan, I know we got to let you know, let you go here. Uh, very much looking forward to your call tonight and hearing uh, a little bit more about Adam Wainwright and <laughs> how much you appreciate him on that broadcast tonight. Thanks for taking the time out, Dan. All right, Blake. Have a good one. Dan Schulman, voice of the Blue Jays on Sportsnet. 707, first pitch tonight. Ben Wagner and Arden Swelling will have it for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker back for Jay's talk after the game. Kevin Gossman, Adam Wainwright. There are only a handful of pitching matchups that are more fun than that one on paper. We'll see how this goes. But Wainwright is, I mean, if you're roughly my age... I'm 36. Like he is the him and Granky are kind of like the two constants you've had mostly in the National League, but those have been the two constants in terms of 
top pitchers in the league. It's uh it's cool. And who knows? Wainwright might have more left. He's got a 340 ERA right now. It's not like he's slowing down. It's not like that curveball is any less effective. Uh, we'll tee that up a little bit in the next segment here. You can keep your texts coming to 590, 590. Uh, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts on this 9-1 and Jays run that has them back in the driver's seat for the top wild card spot. Four and a half games up on the last team out when we're talking about just making a playoff spot. And as Dan Schulman said, and I've, I've kicked this around in my head and on this show a couple times, it's got to be one of the bigger questions the Jays front office is trying to navigate between now and Tuesday is if you are fairly certain you are going to lock down a wild card spot and uh, whatever playoff probability site you use and look at, it's pretty strong that the Jays are in a good position here um, again, a four and a half game cushion. Things change quickly, but there are only 65 games left. If you think, well, you're not going to catch the Yankees, but you're very confident you're going to make the playoffs. Do you start looking at the roster and the way you line up as how do you get out of a three game series? Now you don't want to get out of a three game series and get pasted and get swept in the next round. Certainly. But that's the big hurdle then if you think you're going to make the playoffs and not win the division. It's how do you get out of that three-game set? And that's the scenario where maybe adding a starter isn't quite as interesting to them unless that starter has some experience coming out of the bullpen or they think will come out of the bullpen well. If you're not as confident in Jose Barrios, then the starting pitching thing is uh, is a three-game series thing as well. Barrios, by the way, last night, uh, three earned over five and two-thirds, nine base runners, but seven Ks. And uh, the curveball, we're going to talk to Ricky Romero about this a little later in the show, but that curveball didn't get the swing and miss numbers that we've seen recently from the curveball, but the Cardinals could not pick it up. He got, he painted a lot of edges with that curveball and got a lot of guys looking at it, uh, which is a good sign too. It, It shows you're being deceptive. And if the team, you know, Barrios's fastball hasn't been super effective this year, if the Cardinals were sitting and waiting on that, Cool, but he's going to get that curveball over for strikes and get in favorable counts. That's something Kevin Gosman will do as well. Pound the zone, pound the zone, pound the zone. We saw last night the St. Louis Cardinals offense is not completely punchless without Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado, but they'll be without those guys again tonight. Uh, Two guys worth about 10 wins above replacement so far this year and two guys in the National League MVP conversation, not in the lineup for the Cardinals. Let's take a break. We'll go through what that Cardinals lineup looks like. We'll go through what the Jays lineup looks like. And we'll preview this Kevin Gosman, Adam Wainwright matchup. You can keep your text coming to 590-590. We'll go through those and set this game up next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590, The Fan. Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That song is an achievement unlocked by George Springer. 
That's a little sneak listen for you. It's a new track from Arkells called Human Being that doesn't come out until Thursday at noon. But a fan messaged Arkells who were at the game and said, if George Springer hits a grand slam here, can we get a sneak preview of the song? And George Springer got that grand slam. Uh, so that's Human Being from Arkells. Again, it's out tomorrow at noon. Arkells are playing Oceaga uh, this Saturday and have cross-country dates coming across the fall. Uh, pretty fun one there from some guys who uh, you know are big into the Toronto sports scene. Now the Jays' offense is so hot, we're getting advanced copies of, of new tracks. It's, it's great. What's next? Because it's been a lot of this lately. Victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory after victory. Seven in a row. Nine of the last ten. I mentioned it earlier, but uh, as we go through a couple notes here before this game, John Schneider has a chance to become just the third manager ever tonight to start his managing career nine and one. Not a lot of people have even gotten eight and two, so it's not like Schneider's off to a poor start if they don't win tonight, but pretty rare territory if he manages to, if the Jays rather manage to uh, lock that one in. A couple other notes from last night's game beyond the seventh in a row, beyond unlocking the new Arkells track. 40,602 hot dogs purchased at the game on Looney Dog Night, a new season high. Shai Davidi giving us those stats. Uh, that's an impressive number, but I will say, I think as a city, as a fan base, we got to get that hot dog per person metric up. Like if we were doing weighted hot dogs plus, and you have a 50,000 capacity ballpark, 40,602 hot dogs, not not crazy impressive when they're a dollar each. And, you know, I've heard people say that the numbers are juiced because they're smaller hot dogs or the numbers are artificially low because you can only get two at a time when you go up. Whatever the case, 1.17 hot dogs per person on the season on Tuesdays. Got to get that up. We've had people on this station, people who work here, say that they did four, four and a half, five. I had uh, I had six friends go to the game last night. And I would imagine that that group of six went way above uh, the average 1.17 hot dogs per person there. Uh, The hot dogs above replacement out of control there. Speaking of Roger Center, uh, not only are the loony dogs a thing, but Mark Spiro is going to speak tomorrow sometime between 1230 and 1.30 to provide details on uh, the plans for the Rogers center renovations that are coming. We've also heard reports that the blue Jays are going to put in for uh, an all-star game bid in the not so distant future. Be very interesting to hear what Shapiro and the blue Jays have planned for that as they try to continue modernizing uh, Rogers center. We, I had a great chat with Arden Zwelling on the fan morning show early in the year, talking about some of the upgrades this year. You've obviously seen the new screens. You've obviously seen the Jordan Romano light show. Arden talked in detail about the different soils and things like that in the infield. Uh, Curious to hear what the team has planned as they continue to spruce up uh, around Rogers center. And I would love to hear what you'd like to see added. I don't know if we'll get a chance to get to those, but you can text it to 590, 590. What you'd like to see as part of uh, the 
Rogers Center renovations. And yes, Mike from Caledon lights is on that track as well. Uh, lights rules. I didn't know if we were going to play long, play it long enough uh, to hear the lights part. So I didn't hype that one as much, uh, but yes, lights is on that Arkells track human being, which comes out tomorrow uh, lights. My youngest brother's favorite artist. So cool. Um, great to see them doing some music together. Uh, we, we do have more baseball stuff in the text line as well. Colin and Barry asks, um, what do I think the Jays will do at the deadline? He can't see why the Jays don't push all their chips in and go for it. So, yes, I, I would love for the Jays to do that. I think that this team is good enough to, to justify it in a vacuum. Here are the realistic answers as to why. And it, it's twofold, really. The first is that this front office will tell you that this is not about this window that they've created with Vlad and Bo and Kirk and Manoa is not about one year or even two years. They want to have a sustainable Dodgers like long-term model here. And that's easier to do with the Dodgers payroll for sure. But when it comes to the prospect system, you have to be careful, not only because like, look, prospects don't always click. Look at what's happening with Austin Martin right now. And now he's got a shoulder issue and, um, you know, the the bloom came off of that really, really quickly. Prospects are hard to nail down, but prospects are also trade capital. And if a prospect hits, that's how you, once guys like Vlad and Bo and Manoa get more expensive, that's how you keep the team competitive, by having guys like Santiago Espinal who can step into uh, a part-time and then maybe even everyday role on their kind of controllable years, maybe even before they get arbitration eligible so that's part one part two and this is a this is borders on losers mentality but also you gotta understand probabilities here they are way back of the yankees if the yankees played 500 ball the rest of the way the jays would have to go something like 40 and 25 to catch up that's not exact i'm just roughing you know use round numbers there but that's how steep the hill is to catch in the division if you go to the wild card even if you are the better team period you're playing the second best wild card team and even with three games at home you can't feel super super confident about that Say you're a minus 150 favorite on the betting line, if that's something you like to look at. That implies a probability of 60-40 that you'll win. That's really high for a playoff game, especially for two teams that are next. They're going to be next to each other in the standings. It's a little tough to cash in everything when even in a best-case scenario, maybe you only have a 60% chance at coming out of that wildcard series because the two teams are pretty evenly matched, and this is baseball. You could say to that, well, get someone with years of control and then you're getting them not just for this playoff push, you're getting them for next year as well. And that's a pretty good counter. So, Colin, I don't uh, I don't disagree, but those are the two responses this front office I think would give you. 
Scott in North Van says he was at a, wow, he must have been here on vacation. Uh, he said he went to a Tuesday night game about a month ago and put away six loony dogs. There was no limit so um, per person. So maybe the people with low hot dog numbers are just making that up, Scott in North Van. Uh, and I would love to hear also your experience down at the Nat if you're watching those Vancouver Canadians. Um, Adam in Guelph says one of the things he would like to see is seats angled toward the infield um, and maybe a coat of white paint on the roof. Um, just to kind of upgrade the the concrete look around the stadium. Uh, G from Hamilton says he'd like to see the outfield wall adjusted so it's not uniform all the way across. Maybe pull it in and raise it up in the corner so you get some unique bounces. It's an interesting one. The Rogers Center is uh, not a place you see triples. I don't know that the Rymel Tapia inside the park Grand Slam could ever happen at Rogers Center without a comedy of errors. So that's an interesting one. G in Hamilton. And since he's from Hamilton, I'm sure he's thrilled that we played that Arkell song coming in because they are Hamilton. Uh, let's take a look at tonight's game. The Jays go for their ninth in 10 under John Schneider and their 10th in 11 overall as they continue to try to get some separation in the wild card race. It'll be Kevin Gosman against Adam Wainwright on the Cardinals side, no Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado, as you've heard, no Austin Romine, a couple other names like Harrison Bader and Yadier Molina still uh, working their way back on rehab assignments. By the way, uh, Andrew Chafin, the only Detroit Tigers player who won't make the trip for this four-game set this weekend, which is good to know because, as Dan Schulman pointed out earlier, a couple interesting relief options on the Detroit Tigers. Nice to know that those names won't be going on the restricted list. So, Kevin Gosman against Adam Wainwright. Here's how the Cardinals line up. It is super similar to yesterday. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Albert Pujols, Brandon Donovan, Corey Dickerson, Lars Newtbar, Nolan Gorman, and Andrew Neisner. It's the same nine you saw yesterday, just a slight tweak in the order. Old pal Corey Dickerson in at DH. Pools playing first with Goldschmidt out. And Brandon Donovan, a bit of a utility guy, but not a bad third baseman. He's not Nolan Arenado because nobody other than maybe Matt Chapman is. But uh, Donovan looks looks solid over there. That is a group of players who have not faced Kevin Gosman a ton and have not had success against Kevin Gosman. Uh, 67 plate appearances total with a 225 expected weighted on base average. So that's the stat cast thing, the metric that looks at walks, strikeouts, and quality of contact. And it basically says, well, you'd expect Kevin Gosman to turn the Cardinals into okay hitting pitchers or utility guys uh, over that sample. So Corey Dickerson, Albert Pools, Tommy Edmond have all been terrible against Kevin Gosman. Nobody else has much sample in 67 plate appearances. So think about it. 27 plate appearances is a game. Well, you get more than that. But if you were to do a perfect game or a 27 up, 27 down, 27 plate appearances. So 67 plate appearances is not insignificant. Zero home runs, only three walks. Gosman has done pretty well against this Cardinals team. And you know what to expect from him. 99th percentile chase rate. 96th percentile walk rate, 80th percentile strikeout and whiff rate. So among the league leaders in getting guys to swing at bad stuff, getting guys to swing and miss, and even when he's working outside of the zone a little bit more, not walking anyone. His ERA is exactly 3.00, which my 
Stats brain really appreciates. So if he could just allow two runs over six innings every single start for the rest of the season, that'd be great. Thank you. Um, although he's averaging only about five, five and a half innings uh, per start. It's a fastball splitter slider mix with the odd changeup thrown in. The splitter and the slider are both elite swing and miss pitches. Uh, the fastball has been tagged pretty regularly. The usage has gone up and down with it. When Gosman has struggled this year, it's tended to be with the location of the fastball and it being hard hit. There was a two to three start stretch where the splitter wasn't locating as well, but um, it's mostly been the fastball when things aren't working. Use that about half the time. And then it's the splitter and the slider that play off of that so well and get so many swing and misses. So not a, not a very strong track record for the Cardinals against Gosman. Not much of a track record at all for the Blue Jays against Adam Wainwright, um, despite Adam Wainwright having been in baseball for eternity, he spent all of that with the St. Louis Cardinals. So Matt Chapman's faced him seven times, two for seven with a home run. Rymel Tapia is one for five. George Springer's 0 for three. That's it for players who are in the lineup today. You, as a baseball fan, have surely seen Adam Wainwright more than uh, the Blue Jays hitters have. Uh, well, I'm sure they've watched him, but... It's fascinating to see Adam Wainwright still holding a 340 ERA. He's going to turn 41 later this season. The 340 ERA isn't really a mirage. All of his advanced metrics suggest a sub four ERA over a, a long sample, or you know, if you want to say he's deserved the ERA, it's it's sub four. He doesn't miss very few bats. In fact, he's on almost the exact opposite end of the the spectrum as Kevin Gossman second percentile whiff rate. Despite that, he still gets pretty decent strikeout, right? Not a, not elite, not anywhere near it, but it's fine. He only walks an average number of guys. So if you're thinking, okay, well, he's got a pedestrian strikeout rate and only an average walk rate, and he doesn't miss any bats. What's going on here? Well, it's ground balls and weak contact. His most comparable pitchers right now, based on batted ball stuff, Marcus Stroman, Zach Granke, Fromber Valdez, and Noah Syndergaard. Obviously, the Syndergaard comp doesn't hold when you look at quality of stuff, but Noah Syndergaard hasn't been Noah Syndergaard this year, uh, which is a note, by the way, because the Angels are maybe going to shop him at the trade deadline, and with $7 million still owed to him, maybe he's not that expensive in prospect capital. But that's the, the batted ball class of guys you're looking at guys who can control it down on the zone and do some weak contact how does he do it he'll throw a 73 mile an hour curveball about 27 percent of the time that's his best swing and pitch and even then guys only miss about a quarter of the swings they take at it which is not great for uh your best swing and miss pitch but in terms of weighted on base average and expected weighted on base average. So again, taking into account the quality of contact and how often guys make contact with it, uh, sub 300 against that curveball. It remains a very, very, very effective pitch. Outside of the curveball, he'll throw a fastball and a sinker, or maybe it's the same pitch and StatCast just can't split them apart. Uh, about 89 miles an hour. Those two combined 40% of the time. They're not as good as his curveball, and he doesn't miss many bats with them, but they're still hard to square up. Does a good job keeping the ball down with those two pitches. He'll also throw a cutter about 25% of the time. Um, that comes in a little slower than the fastball, but 
much faster than the curveball. It's his worst pitch by a good margin um, by result and by expected stats. Uh, and then he'll mix in an 83-mile-an-hour change up to lefties. The Jays don't have a lot of those in the lineup today. Um, Kevin Biggio and Ryan Altapia are in, but this is the Blue Jays. If you ever see more than two lefties in the lineup, uh, they've made a trade or something has gone dramatically wrong. So that's Adam Wainwright. And you like to think the Jays will stay hot here. Over the last 60 days, they are first in baseball in runs, batting average, on-base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS, weighted runs created plus, average exit velocity, number of hard-hit balls. Any way you want to try to rank offenses, over the last two months, the Jays are the best one. On the year, they're, they come in about third Overall, they're third in WRC+. Plus. They're, they're in the top five, but not consistently in one spot in just about everything except for walk rate. It's a very, very good offense. We saw them get to Andre Pallante early yesterday, and that was kind of what we teed up. Pallante, since he moved into the rotation, even though he was an elite reliever, curiously, he struggled the first time through the order. Adam Wainwright, historically, has been very, very good early in games. Uh, a little bit less so this year. Opponents have an 808 OPS against him in the first inning. Nothing wild, but certainly not the the Adam Wainwright who was a clean first inning lock for a lot of his career. If there's a type of pitcher, though, that's given the Jays some trouble kind of paradoxically at times this year, it's the guys who junk ball it a little bit. More so on the left side than, than the right side. So you probably like their chances to to get to Adam Wainwright at least a little bit, but you don't make it to age 41 in baseball and you don't spend 20 years throwing a curveball that no one could figure out if you don't know how to navigate a lineup even when they're hot. So fun one for the Jays tonight. Here's how they line up, by the way. And we'll, we'll set this up again closer to 707 first pitch, but the Jays will go George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk, DHs, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Kevin Biggio playing second and up to sixth in the lineup today as Santiago Espinal gets a day off. Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen catching and hitting eighth. And then Rymel Tapia spells Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and plays left, hitting ninth. So no Gurriel, no Espinal. But the way the Jays have been hitting, any of your top 11 in there, you're pretty happy with. I mentioned this the other day, but... 12 of the 13 Jays position players on the roster. So everyone but Zimmer, uh, and this includes Zach Collins in a small sample, has been basically a league average bat or better. So however you shake that up, those 11 names in a hat, it's hard to hard to come up with a bad nine right now. A couple other notes before we take a break here and talk to Adnan Verk and Ricky Romero in the second hour. Gabriel Moreno? Talked about him very briefly with Dan Schulman there and about maybe him being in the mix for the Jays roster in the September roster expansion or in the playoffs when the developmental side can kind of fall away because you're in a playoff series. You got to have the best guys on the on the field you could possibly have. He's up to number one on Baseball America's top prospects list. They had bumped him to four at their midseason ranking. They did another juggle up of it. He is number one. He's appeared in six games since being sent back down to Buffalo. 
Um, that seems light, but it's because of the all-star break. He has hit in all six of them. His seven hits total. And perhaps most importantly, given where his limitations are right now, three extra base hits. He's also only struck out three times over those seven games, which is uh, something we came to appreciate uh, during his brief major league tenure as well. Three walks, the three strikeouts, three extra base hits and seven hits overall in six games. So uh, the confidence doesn't seem to be shaken at all. Gabriel Moreno, now the number one prospect in baseball per baseball America. So that's fun. We had Ben Clemens, a fan graphs on earlier in the week. We talked about his trade value series, which he does every year where uh, he looks at things like projected value, contract value, years of control and things like that. And lays out a top 50 around baseball. The 21 to 30 range came out today, and we finally have some Blue Jays on it. Ben Clemens gives Alejandro Kirk the number 27 trade value in all of baseball. One slot behind Shohei Otani. And as Ben lays it out, and this is, by the way, not just Ben's opinion. Ben spends a lot of time talking to scouts and executives around the league to get a sense. This is not Ben Clemens' opinion on trade value. There is some of that. There's some subjectivity, but he's talking to a lot of people to set this up. Alejandro Kirk, one spot behind Shohei Otani on that list. Given the age, given the bat, given the positional value of being a catcher, even with some risk, you know, he Ben provides in there that the framing stuff is real, but there are some belief around the majors that maybe defensively he's not going to be as good as he's been this year long-term. And he doesn't profile as a first baseman, certainly not as an outfielder. So then is he a DH? And what does the value look like then? But nobody has any doubts that Alejandro Kirk can hit. He's very young. He's the second youngest player on this team, or he's the youngest player on this team. Um, And lots of control at a premium position. Number 27. Bo Bichette came in at number 21, which I was a little surprised at because he's having a year where he's just been average at the plate. But he's a shortstop. And he's young, and he's stolen 25 bases in a year, and he's hit 25 home runs in a year, and uh, he's shown at times that he can be a lot more than he's been so far this year at the dish. For any Blue Jays fans who have, I don't think anyone's soured on Boba Shett. I think most people realize that he's still very good, and this is just, uh, you know, he hasn't been as effective at the plate this year. Uh, People around baseball still have Boba Shett. Number 21 on Ben Clemens' trade value chart. It's pretty good. There's still a top 20 to come. You gotta think Vlad and Alec Manoa are in there somewhere. Maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see. We'll see the rest of the week. Tomorrow, 11 to 20 will come out, so check that out at Fangraphs. Um, check it out anyway, because it's really good. Also, David Luria over at Fangraphs today um, posted a conversation he had with Hunter Mancy, the Blue Jays' uh, assistant major league hitting coach and minor league hitting coordinator. Uh, they chatted about on about developing good swing decisions and how the Jays build that throughout the minor league system. Very interesting read. I don't want to give too much of it away, but basically they think there's an element of innate swing decision ability. And they talk about Alejandro Kirk as the kind of prototypical guy there where he's laid back. He's a very thoughtful baseball player. His ability to, make good swing decisions has kind of also always been there. 
And they talk about Aralvis Martinez as a guy who maybe hasn't had to make those swing decisions early in his career. And so he's a guy that they've seen make progress on those swing decisions. And as part of this, they give, they grade each swing decision throughout the minor leagues so that there's, you know, quantitative feedback for players. Um, It's really interesting. And, you know, I, I don't think you need to care that much about what the swing decision score is for each player, but the way Mency describes it is it helps players build confidence hitting in every situation. And this is part of why the Jays um, uh, uh, at the minor league level, especially, but they'll do a lot of mixed batting practice, which is you're not just seeing here's an 80 mile an hour pitch hit, hit, hit. It's okay. Well, now you're in this count and there's this many out and there's this base runner situation and you mix it up like that because that keeps, you know, a hitter's mentality more agile and it makes that batting practice uh, a little more translatable. It can scale or it can, um, it's portable to game situations. So it's fascinating read. You can go check that out at fangraphs.com. And, uh, you know, the big takeaway there is if you're talking to a young player, how do you get buy-in? It's like, well, first of all, it's going to make you a better hitter. Second of all, as Hunter puts it, the stuff up in the majors is really good. And pitchers will expose you very, very fast. If you're not a good decision maker, they'll find your holes and keep exploiting them. So very interesting to hear them talk openly about that and hear or read rather David in conversation with the Blue Jays about it. Uh, David Luria also had a, a nice piece coming out of the all-star break about Kevin Gosman talking, Kevin Gosman on Alec Manoa and Alec Manoa on Kevin Gosman, which was fun. Uh, so make sure you head over to Fangraphs throughout the week because they do a ton of, I mean, they do great stuff all the time, uh, but especially heading into the trade deadline here, they've got the prospect rankings like, Baseball American Baseball Prospectus as well. Uh, they don't have Gabriel Moreno number one right now, though, so we don't like them as much as Baseball America for prospect rankings. Let's take a break. Let's uh, bring in someone that we like on any site, in any ranking. Adnan Verk of MLB Network joins us next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy playing in our next guest with his uh, very favorite song. I'm going to talk to Adnan Verk in just a minute here. You can keep your text coming to, to 590-590. Uh, join now. From MLB Network and NHL Network, uh, the number one Lips of an Angel fan, Adnan Verk. How are you, Adnan? Hey, doing, Blake. I, clearly, you know me well. I have said before. That is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life and played recently at a gym here in Jersey. We can debate the merits of the song or not, but clearly playing that at a gym, like who needs to get a lift from hearing uh, Hinder, Lips of an Angel? Yeah, no one's trying to uh, no one's trying to do the WWE thing where you hold up a belt and you're crying, but like with dumbbells. Um, no, that's not uh, that's not it. It is an all time hilarious music video, though, uh, for all the wrong reasons. I know that you're I mean, you're more of a the movie guy than the music guy. Not, not you're not necessarily not a music guy, but you have the cinephile pod 
in addition to your MLB and NHL work. Um, I haven't got a chance to listen to you speaking to the EP yet, but are you enjoying Blackbird as much as I am so far? You know, what happened is a lot of times we push for guests and we don't get them. I'll be honest. I get rejected a ton. They're here <laughs> my life. But sometimes they will push for guests and we'll get them. So our booker, Laura Brandt, said, hey, I'm going to try to get Paul Walter Hauser, Greg Kinnear, um, and uh, Dennis Lahane, who's executive producer. So I said, all right, great. And I was on vacation last week. This is a long way of saying I haven't seen Blackbird. They met oh. me They said Lahane's available. So I only watched the first episode. Now, it's a big thing with me, Blake. I never liked doing interviews unless I've seen their work. So at least I was able to see one. But I know there's been four episodes so far. I mainly took that interview because I love Mystic River and, of course, Shutter Island. I'm a big fan of Lahane's work. But I can't go up. Uh, in detail, unfortunately, on Blackbird. Ah, that's okay. We we probably on to mostly talk baseball anyway. I just uh, I saw that tweet that that that's coming for you, uh, from you at some point rather. Uh, by the way, uh, Paul has almost certainly seen your work uh, back when you were with WWE because he's a huge wrestling fan. So um, that's uh, you guys will have something to talk about if you get him at some point. Um, so on the MLB side, we're close Wait, to the trade. Paul Walter Hauser is a big WWE guy. He's a huge wrestling fan. Um, he's at like. Tons of wow. indie shows and stuff like that. Um, I think he's been shown in the crowd a couple times at WWE events and done the, you know, backstage photos and stuff like that. Um, obviously, of course, here we have uh, the WWE shows on Sportsnet, so that's all we watch. But, um, yeah, he's a huge wrestling guy, so you might have that to talk about with him. All right, fingers crossed. <laughs> I just want to Richard Jewell, but that's fine. We can discuss Roman Reigns. Let's do it. Yeah, uh, perfect. Um, so on the MLB side, some pretty big news today, and – we're still kind of navigating how seriously we should take this, but um, some reporting out there that the back issue that Mike Trout is dealing with is maybe something he's going to have to manage for a long time. Mike Trout has kind of responded to that and said uh, he doesn't think it's that serious, but this has been a couple years now of Mike Trout struggling to stay on the field as a baseball fan, how disappointing is that to you for a guy who, you know, was on the path to having one of the most historic careers ever? Yeah, I mean, listen, even if he retired tomorrow, he'd be going in the Hall of Fame. If you think of other great players who are unfortunately impacted by injury, you, know, you think of Kirby Puckett. His career was curtailed, of course, by glaucoma. But Kirby was still in the Hall of Fame, was an incredible player. And even though he didn't have the, the so-called compiler stats, 2,500 home runs, et cetera. I think in the case of Trout, there's only so many three-time MVPs. There's very few, and he's got that on his resume, so he would get in. But more to your point, he's only 30 years of age. This guy hopes to keep hitting until he's 40 years old. He could be like Miguel Cabrera or any of those other guys who seem to go deep in their careers. So it definitely is frustrating. He had an excellent run of good health early in his career. There's no question about it. And then in the last couple of years, it's, it's kind of gone awry. So it's, it's definitely frustrating. I would be cautious of reports saying, you know, it's a debilitating knee condition. Like, I feel like in today... There's just so much you can do with modern medicine, so mm-hmm. I, I like to try and squash it. I, I don't, maybe it's true. I, I realize I have no idea, but I just feel like when someone says this could end his life or end his career, excuse me, I just think that may be a little bit hyperbolic, but at the same time, what else would Trout say? He's not gonna, yeah, he's just in the back of his whole life. He's never going to be the same player. I, it's really tough to discern what's true, uh, whether or not the report is, whether what Mike is saying. But I can tell you he's a phenomenal player. I love watching him. Everyone knows he's a modern-day Vicky Mantle. I just wish we could see him more in the playoffs. Uh, the real shame of it is, He's only played three games in the playoffs, 2014 against the Royals. I just hope eventually that team gets better. We can see Trout and Otani in the playoffs. 
Yeah, well, I'll tell you how we could see Otani in the playoffs. You trade him to a playoff team right now. That'd be great. Um, but the Angels, 14 yeah. games under 500. I, I can't imagine they're moving uh, Otani this year based on all the reporting out there. Maybe a couple names on the move. Um, but I did want to spin around the, the kind of state of the AL with you ahead of the deadline here. Um, Yankees and Astros at the top of that. Good cushions in their divisions, jockeying for which one would host a, a potential AL, uh, ALCS. Um, could you see those teams, like are those teams headed for a bit of an arms race between each other these next couple days? Um, because like I, I think of two ways to go about it, that they're way better than everyone else in the AL right now. So maybe they're not that urgent, but they got to be looking across at each other too, I think. No question about it. I mean, uh, Aaron Boone, of course, I worked with the ESPN. He's a lovely guy. I hope he's manager of the year this year. You know, he was very open about the fact when they lost the Astros uh, coming out of the All-Star break, struck by a doubleheader, it is just a little too much given to that series, the fact that Houston won the season series 5-2. And by the way, those two Yankee wins were comeback wins. They were pretty tight. So Houston could have done 7-0. But everybody knows that these two teams are the best in the American League, barring unforeseen circumstances that should be meeting in the ALCS. Now, we always know, Blake, that uh, unforeseen circumstances do happen. I, I thought the Braves were out the first round last year. <laughs> I had Brewers-Rays World Series, and guess what? Atlanta won the Brewers and Rays were out in the first round. So something could always happen, but I really think if you look at those teams right now, who on earth is going to knock out the, the Yankees or the Astros? I, I can't see the Mariners do it. I know we love our Jays. I can't see the Jays do it. The Rays, Red Sox, uh, the Twins, if they win the division, the White Sox get hot. I just can't see it. I just think both those teams are so premier. And it starts with starting pitching. I think when you look at Houston, Verlander's in the Scion conversation for good reason. You add Framber Valdez, the all-star. You know, you look at Garcia, and they've just got so much depth, 1 through 12. And same thing for the Yankees. Now, they've been hurt by Michael King. That injury to their bullpen does impact them because Clay Holmes is outstanding, but King is their number two best reliever, and Rolvis Chapman doesn't look like the same guy. But, again, their rotation has been awfully healthy when you look at Garrett Cole, Montgomery, and Nestor Cortez, the all-star, and Luis Severino. So, Ultimately, you're right. I think it does feel like an arms race. I'd be shocked if it's not Yankees-Astros in the ALCS, and I'd be shocked if it doesn't go at least six games. Yeah, a- Astros, too. Um, it went Lance McCullers is back, and he's making a second rehab start. Um, I can't remember if it's today or tomorrow, but they'll have seven starters in the mix. And, and it's you know it makes me wonder if this is a rare case where a really good team could deal off their roster to address other areas and kind of catch up with the Yankees on the bat side. Um, so we're not you're not super confident in, in one of the other teams making a push at the Yankees and Astros. There are seven of those teams, um, eight if we include the AL Central leader because there's not a big stranglehold there, um, all within three and a half games of this final wild card spot. You said that you'd be surprised if it's not Yankees Astros, but of those eight teams in the mix, which team do you think has the best case to be really aggressive ahead of the deadline because they're closest or have the most obvious thing that could take them to the next level? Well, I think it's our Blue Jays. I mean, you look at how the team has responded to John Schneider. It's been amazing. Um, obviously, the offense has been tremendous. You look at all the major offensive categories. The Jays have responded big time. Um, you know, I just worry a little bit with the Jays pitching. Like, Manoa's one of the top ten pitchers in baseball. Klaassen's really good, but Brios is just terribly inconsistent. It's now been a year since he's been a Blue Jay, and he has a four five five ERA. They were expecting a lot more of that when they gave him that big contest. He's got great stuff, but just too inconsistent. Add to that the fact that, you know, Kikuchi's been a disappointment. Ryu is hurt. Tripping's actually done a nice job. But I think they need a starter. So I think if they go out and get Luis Castillo, who's an absolute stud, and he's the best starter available in the market, that changes things. And by the way, that guy's going to want a $100 million contract, but... <laughs> 
Rodgers can pay it if need be. So I think if they get Castillo, Frankie Montas will be available for the A's. I don't think Carlos Rodon gets moved. I don't think the Giants are sellers, but that's another name to keep, keep track of. So, yeah, I think Toronto, if you see what's happened as soon as John Snyder's taking over, you look at the collection of talent. A lot of people, Blake, thought the Jays would win the division at the start of the year. Now, he's moved off of that because the Yankees have been so strong. But there's no doubt that Toronto has the offensive talent. Romano at the back end of the bullpen. I think they need a starter and a left-handed bat. They're just way too right-handed heavy. Makes you think about Rowdy Telez, of course, has been so good with the Brewers. Former Blue Jays, how good he would fit in now. But I think Toronto, the teams you mentioned, I, I still feel like the Jays, I'm most confident they'll make the playoffs. I definitely think they're going to get a wild card spot. Yeah, you think the Brewers would take Trevor Richards back for Rowdy Telez? <laughs> I don't know if they're, they'll redo <laughs> that one. Um, okay, so... That's um, yeah, it's always hard. It's always hard when you redo the trade, right? Because you're like, oh man, you have that and that, but I'm like, oh, who knows if this is gonna happen, right? Jordan Alvarez was traded by the Dodgers, so everyone makes mistakes. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. And who knows? Rowdy maybe doesn't even become the same guy without the same plate appearances and things like that. Um, so that's that's the, the team that's closest and should be the most aggressive. When you look at this, and I'm thinking particularly with Boston of late, but you could certainly make the case for Baltimore too, given where they are developmentally. Are any of these teams going to be surprise us a little bit and be sellers come Tuesday? Of uh, which team? Sorry, the the teams in the, the wild card the race, close ish to the wild card race. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the Reds, the the Red Sox are the one. The Rays are definitely not selling. I don't think the White Sox too, because only three games back of a playoff spot. The Twins are certainly in the mix. As are the Astros and the Mariners. The Mariners want to probably make the playoffs and this playoff drought. Uh, the Blue Jays, of course, we just discussed. The only one is the Red Sox. So they're right around 500, and they can make some moves. Evaldi is available. He's going to be a free agent at the end of the season. They could trade him. I believe Rich Hill, Michael Waka, also pending free agents. The big one is Xander Bogarts. He could opt down after this season, so Boston could flip him. They saw with Mookie Betts. They were unafraid to make a major trade like that. And J.D. Martinez is a free agent after this season. So yeah. of all the teams I mentioned, the only one that I could see being sellers is Boston. But that's up to Heimblum and ownership. The Red Sox want to win. It's a really rabid fan base. I don't know if they punch because of the fact there are only a few games that have a wild card spot, but that's the only one I could see because they do have a lot of assets that they want to flip, and they have yet to win a series against the American League East. I think that's pretty damning. I love Alex Cora. Works with him at ESPN. He's a phenomenal manager. If he can do it, if he can't do it, nobody can, but I, I just, they really run out of arms. I mean, once Sale got hurt again, it really kind of took the wind out of their sails. Part of the pun. <laughs> uh, no, the the puns are great. We're on we're on sports radio. This is the this is the place for them. If you're you're ever going to do them, um, so you mentioned the fan side of it and what you know what it says your fans if you're close and you sell, and that's a fascinating question for me when it comes to the Orioles because I think the Orioles front office, if they were speaking candidly, would tell you that they expected to be sellers around this time. And maybe a, a Trey Mancini could have moved or certainly they have the best bullpen in baseball statistically and everyone needs relievers. But you're having this fun season with a young, exciting team. You've pushed a little over 500. What Do you think that puts the front office in a bit of a tough spot here, m- matching the timeline they're supposed to be on with what's happened this year? Not really. I think they look at it and go, my God, this is amazing with the kind of progress we've made. And now let's just keep getting better. You know, they've got this young core. I don't think anybody would have expected all of a sudden you trade a couple of young players for an impact bat or impact pitchers and try to make the playoffs. No, no, they've got a plan. They're going to stick firm to it. They are elated with how good it's looked. You know, Trey Mancini is obviously a really talented player. Such a goal is kind of taking a step back. But 
Austin Hayes is good. Ryan Malkowski. Of course, the big one is Avi Rutschman. He's just been terrific ever since he's been called up. And he slumped the first couple weeks, no doubt about it. Maybe Julio Rodriguez, once you got going, it's fine. Particularly their bullpen's great. They've got a top five bullpen. Maybe even top three right now in the major league. So that's really been an asset for them. And Brandon Hyde should feel thrilled. I mean, this is a team that lost 110 games a year ago. And the fact that even with flirting with 500 is incredible. But they're not going to deviate from their plan. They weren't expected to contend. They're not going to contend. 500 will be a Herculean achievement. So we're looking at this very, very tight wildcard race, and a lot of these teams have incentive to add to potentially try to take a chunk out of, out of the Yankees or, or the Astros or, or get out of the wildcard round. Um, obviously, you just have to make it too, but when you look at the fact that the first, whoever gets the top wildcard spot will host the entire three-game wildcard series, how big a factor do you think that's going to be? Like, you look at the Blue Jays, and they're they're in that spot right now. And if the season ended today, they'd play Seattle, and they'd get to host that. How big a factor do you think that's going to be in such a tight series between close teams? I don't think it's that important. Every year we say it's important, and you look at the stats. I think baseball playoffs, it's generally a toss-up, home field versus road team. Like, it's, it's a small advantage, maybe it's 55%, but I always feel like at the major sports, so the NBA really matters because the refs, they just call it a different game for the home team. Um, you know, in football, maybe you think it matters more than it does, but then the Packers will lose at Lambeau. You're like, okay, well, it doesn't really matter that much what you think. Um, I really only think in basketball matters. Football, a little bit, but not as much as people think. It's generally an overstated, overrated phenomenon. In hockey, you see up all the time. It doesn't matter who the home team is. So, yeah, I, listen, would I rather have home field than not? Yeah. But ultimately, that's not going to determine who wins. I, think, I don't think a home crowd could be a difference especially in such a short series like that. It's going to depend on the starting pitching and the bats and the bullpen and all the rest of it. Yeah, and you're right. I, I brought the stats up as you were saying that there. And 50, 54% of the time, uh, the, the home team wins yeah. in, the, in the postseason in baseball, which is, you know, by a good margin, uh, the, least, the, the least of the four major North American sports. So uh, you're on to something there. Uh, quick one on the NL side before we let you go, Adnan. Uh, your favorite landing spot if Juan Soto moves ahead of the deadline? Well, the Dodgers, what I think is going to happen, if it happens on the deadline, I'm not convinced it is, by the way. I think these kind of trades are really hard to pull off midseason. I, I think there's a better chance of it happening in the offseason, but maybe. Dodgers makes the most sense. It becomes a right field. Mookie Betts plays second base. They've got young prospects. They obviously have a ton of money. I think that happens. If it happens on the deadline, that makes sense. The Yankees could be in play, but they've got to figure out what's happening with Aaron Judge. He's a pending free agent. They obviously want to re-sign him. I think the Mets could be in play, again, because they're owners, Stevie Cohen. They don't, I believe they don't have as many good prospects as the Dodgers. Well, they got the money, and Stevie Cohen will say, all right, here's half a billion dollars. Let's figure this out. Someone mentioned the Padres, because A.J. Pollard does like to swing for the fences, but I don't know if you have a team with Soto and Tatis. It's a lot of money going to two players. Maybe, though, Nando's the guy going to Washington. Never never can't tell. But I think right now, Dodgers are totally the favorite to me. That would be quite a, quite a thing. The Dodgers always so strong, and to see the... The strong get stronger. They're they're a good margin above everyone else in that division and even above uh, the Mets in the race in the NL there. Uh, Adnan Verk, thanks so much for taking the time. Keep up the great work at MLB and NHL Network and uh, looking forward to talking to you again as we gear up for the playoffs. Blake, a real pleasure, man. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Adnan. Uh, Adnan Verk of MLB Network, NHL Network. I think he was on Tim and Friends yesterday. Tim and friends, it's uh, it's been fun being in the five to seven slot, and uh, you know the schedule juggled a, a little bit the last while with vacation and stuff like that. And, and sometimes I'm on Tim and friends, and this week I'm I'm up against them. Faisal's over there, and we're we're competing for 
eyeballs or earballs or whatever. Um, thank you if you're hearing this, though, for sticking with us. Um, the Jays and Cardinals will, I almost said tip off. You're in baseball now, Blake, not basketball. Uh, 7.07 tonight, first pitch against the Cardinals. Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Of course, the game on television as well. And then uh, Blair and Barker are back for Jays Talk post-game. Let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to go a little deeper on this pitching matchup between Kevin Gosman and Adam Wainwright. We'll refresh the lineups for you as well. And we're going to talk Yusei Kikuchi with Ricky Romero. Kikuchi's going to start tomorrow. That was confirmed earlier today. Only the one rehab start. We'll see uh, how that goes. But uh, there is, is talk that he's changed his routine, that he's tried to change his delivery a little bit. Ricky Romero is a guy who went through some struggles and went through some trying to tweak your tweak your approach to things like that to, to try to find it again. We'll see what he thinks about the talk around Yusei Kikuchi's uh, mechanical changes as he is set for a return from the aisle tomorrow. Uh, that's next with Ricky Romero on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Sportsnet 590 The Fan. Weezy, baby. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. We're going to have Ricky Romero on in just a second here. But uh, while we wait for Ricky, a couple of your questions in the chat. Well, no, we'll get to Ricky Romero right away then. Um, He joins us uh, now from Spin Rate, from MLB Network, from Sportsnet, from the Jays Care Foundation Golf Tournament. Where isn't this guy? Ricky Romero, what's up, man? (laughs) What's up, Blake? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm curious, though. You talked a bit of a big game when you were in studio with me a while back. How'd it go at the Jays Care Foundation tournament? Was was your game on point or what? It was all right. I mean, our team shot a minus five. So it wasn't too bad. I mean, it wasn't enough to win the tournament, but it was decent. I mean, I, I had some good holes. Uh, had some good little drives early on. And then you know how those tournaments go. Five and a half hours in, seventeenth <laughs> hole, you're just like, all right, just, just get it done. <laughs> but it was, it was good. It was good. It was for a good cause, and you know, obviously, a lot of alumni there. I hadn't seen some of the guys in a long time, obviously, with COVID and all that stuff. <clears throat> it, uh, it, it kind of put a stop to it. But now getting all the boys back together was really, really cool and good to see some. Uh, so some of my former teammates and some of the guys that are obviously big time legends here in this city. Yeah, I saw you. I saw Scott Richmond post a photo with, with him and you and Dustin McGowan and Travis Snyder, and um, that's kind of like the core from that era. Like you, Snyder, and McGowan is kind of like what I think of of, of that era of Jays. Um, are you so close with those guys? I, I know you just said you hadn't got to see them in a while, but is there like that kind of you know brotherhood from from having gone through those years together? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it's almost like you go out to dinner and you sit down and talk to these guys. And it's like, it's almost like you pick up right where you left off. And obviously I feel like we're all uh, married with kids now. Mm -hmm. And so uh, we have a lot in common, 
Um, and, you know, obviously Scott Richmond is always a, a guy that uh, we used to live together. Um, um, and his story was always unbelievable. I was always fascinated by his story and the way he got to the big leagues and all that stuff and him playing for Team Canada. And and um, and I'm like, man, you, you, you definitely are a big deal here, man. I'm surprised uh, you're, you're not out here more often because, you know, there's not – there's only – you know, obviously nowadays there's more Canadian baseball players, but you know he he's he's one of the the few. You know, yeah, and it was a big deal when he was you know on the hometown team uh, at that or the home country team at that point. Uh, one more question for you on the old era of Jays before we get into the current Jays. Has Travis Snyder ever barbecued for you? Yes, impressive. Okay, good. He's impressive on the grill, man. Yes. And we actually, you know, what's funny is we actually touched on that. I was like, remember when you had us over when we went to Seattle and we drove to his house? I was like, this dude had like 10, 15 steaks and you better not come near his grill. <laughs> and he is like dead serious, temperature check, flipping steaks, you know, back and forth and just boom. But he, the man knows how to cook his steak. That's for sure. And he takes it really, really serious. <laughs> I'm sure he doesn't need the work, but you know, you see him post this big Twitter thread about being back here and stuff and interacting with, with fans like my, my buddy, the Zoobs, who, who they have a, a Twitter friendship and stuff. Um, but it makes you think like, I, I know he doesn't need the work, but they're going to announce the details of some Rogers center renovations tomorrow. A Travis Snyder grill. That's a winning idea. I think. Hey, that'd be a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I know. I'm sure a lot of people, and if you haven't checked out his, the thread he had, um, you know, after coming here and stuff like that, I, 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 it's pretty important. Obviously, he, he shares a lot of details about him, his career, and his younger self and stuff like that, and what he's trying to do to heal and all that good stuff. And, you know, you wish him the best. And um, obviously, a young kid, you know, 18, 19, you know, when he got drafted and then 20-year-old in the big leagues and all that stuff and all the <clears throat> behind-the-scenes stuff that, that people don't get to see and what he was going through. Obviously, now he's sharing his story, and I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and if, uh, you know, anyone wants to check that out, he, of course, has the great Twitter handle of LunchboxHero45. Um, and, Ricky, that's something, you know, you and I talked about that for that Vice feature I did a couple years ago where it's similar to yeah. Travis's thread, you know, the mental side of going through that. And I wanted to ask you that that's a, a natural pivot then, I think, to, you know, a guy like Yusei Kikuchi, who's been going through it a little bit. And there's probably some physical stuff going on, but it seems from the outside like his season so far would would have been pretty frustrating. You have it and then you lose it and then you have it and then you lose something else. Um, he's going to start tomorrow. It's his first start in a little over three weeks at the major league level. Um, what is the headspace like for a pitcher like that? And what are you trying to do for yourself heading into a start like tomorrow? Yeah. As someone who's, who's been through that, you know, and who's, who's, who's seen that and, and, and felt that in myself, um, I think the biggest thing that, that I would tell him if I had the chance to talk to him would be like, don't, don't over, don't overthink stuff. Don't overanalyze everything. If you give up a run, it's okay. You know, if you give up two runs, it's okay. Your job is still, Hey, seven innings, two runs looks plenty good enough. Hmm. You know, six runs or uh, six innings, two runs looks plenty good enough. If you give up a couple runs early, it's not the end of the world. It's not the, you know, um, whatever, leave all the outside noise and, and just block it out. And, and I think that's what I would tell him. And, 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 you know, and I'm glad that he's back and, 
And I expect just like everyone else, you know, you expect big things out of him because again, they brought him here for a reason. They just didn't hand him that money just like to come here and okay, let's let's hope he figures it out. You, you kind of hope, you know, he was an all star for a reason too at one point, and um, and you hope that he does figure it out. And maybe these, you know, from everything I've read and everything, you know, that they've done the work that they've done uh, these past couple weeks with him and and stuff like that, um, it kind of makes you wanting to see if, if, if these changes are um, are going to work for him. And obviously it comes down to fastball control. And can, mm-hmm. he, can, he, can he locate his fastball? Can he stay in the zone? And, and you know, we, we see how nasty his, his off-speed stuff can, can be. But if, if, if the fastball control is not there, then, you know, obviously he's going to struggle. And, again, it's, it's one of those things where it's okay if you have ball one, ball two. It's just being able to throw your stuff with conviction and having uh, the trust that, that you're going to get the job done. And if he does that, he, I think he's going to be just fine. Again, we're not expecting him to go out there and, and throw no hitters or, hmm. you know, have shut out, uh, you know, outings. If, if those happens, great. But at the end of the day, <clears throat> you're just hoping for, for quality innings and quality starts out of him. And if you do that, this team is going to be just fine. So, yeah, the fastball command is such a huge part of this. You, you mentioned what the team has tried to tweak with him, and Arash um, tweeted out earlier that the team has changed his throwing program to create a more natural and athletic arm motion. And that makes sense to me. I mean, he's a he's an athletic guy, and the, the delivery can be a little mechanical at times. But this has also only been three weeks, and one rehab start to try it out. Um, is is that enough time to to make a material change to the way you throw the baseball? Uh, it can be, and <clears throat> one of the things I I read, and I'm sure you read it too, like was that they were having him at like shortstop, right, or mm-hmm. uh, him fielding ground balls and trying to get his arm angle working quicker and and stuff like that. And I feel like that sometimes you know it brings out the athleticism in you, and I think that's what they want him to be more athletic. Don't be so robotic on the mound. Don't start thinking, overthinking, overanalyzing mechanics. Where's my arm angle? Where's my this? Where's my that? Because once you start doing that on the mound, then you're you're totally screwed. It's one of those things where you work in it, you work on it in between starts. But then when when start date comes, hey, let my athleticism take over, and I'm just gonna let my stuff go out there and and and, and play out. I'm gonna follow my catcher, and um. And I think it's going to be good that, you know, I'm, I'm guessing Danny Jansen's probably going to catch him. I, I think, you know, having a veteran guy back there and stuff like that is, is going to help him big time. And hopefully he, he can have enough trust in Danny that, hey, you know, me and you, let's work and and <clears throat> and, and just be athletic out there. And, and, you know, that's one of the things I always heard, you know, coming up through the minors for me and when, even when I was going through uh, struggles in the big leagues, whether I was a rookie or my second year, or even you know in 2011 when I had a great year, um, it was hey, don't ever lose that athleticism. Be athletic, be athletic, and and I think that's what they're trying to get him to do. Because again, when you start overthinking stuff, then everything kind of just you know goes to crap. There, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it snowballs on you, right? So yeah. Yep. If you're Danny Jansen then, and that was that was going to be something I asked you next, you know, he's got a 360 ERA when pitching to Jansen this year. It's only four starts, but um, that's still a, a good indicator. If you're Jansen, what what is it you're trying to do to, to help Kikuchi along? Is it just, you know, being very firm with your calls and like, hey, let's stick to the plan, stick to the plan? Um, do you give him some flexibility? What, what What would you be hoping for out of your catcher? Or if you're the catcher, what are you doing in that situation? 
Well, I know when I was struggling, some of the the, the the good catchers that I had or great catchers that I had, they would they would they would say, "Hey, we're gonna sit down," or they would sit down for the game plan. They're like, "Follow me, trust me, don't shake me tonight, trust me." And I feel like when you hear that from a catcher, especially a veteran guy, you're like, "I got you. All right, whatever I put down, let's just just work with me. I got a plan." And usually, you know, the catcher wants the best for their starting pitcher or for other pitchers. So I feel like if, if Danny Jansen from the beginning says, "Hey, we're gonna we're gonna command this fastball. If you miss the first time and I call it again, just trust me." Because I feel like what we've seen with Kikuchi, where he's gone wrong at times, it's like he starts nimbling and then he starts trying to throw that slider and it's not working, and he's he's trying to find three pitches all at once. And and I feel like that's where he falls into trouble. Rather than, "Hey, if I miss once, all right, I'm gonna go back there again. Boom." If I miss again, all right, he's gonna. Uh, I'm gonna trust my catcher that he's gonna call it again, and I'm gonna dot that spot. And <clears throat> I feel like that's that's what I hope I see out of Danny because, again, he's a guy that understands the game, understands hitters. But at the end of the day, it's gonna be fastball control. And if they're able to get on the same pitch with that fastball, and he, if he's able to locate, then it's gonna be a good night for Kikuchi. So that's tomorrow with Yusei Kikuchi returning against, by the way, the worst offense in baseball. So if you're going to work it out somewhere, that's not a, that's not a bad spot. Um, I, before we talk today, I want to go back to yesterday just briefly. Jose Barrios gives up three over five and two-thirds. He does strike out seven, um, and he didn't miss a ton of bats in that game relative to some of his you know best starts of the season, but he got a lot of called strikes with the curveball instead of swinging strikes. What does that tell you about how Barrios is operating on the mound when guys are laying off his curveball but he's getting strikes with that. Is that a positive or is that a sign they're waiting too much on the fastball? Maybe. Well, the, well, the one thing that I was glad I saw, he gave up those three runs, but he still gave the team a chance to win. And mm-hmm. he put them in a position where they were able to, to obviously win the ball game. So that, that you like to see that, you know, rather than, you know, he gives up early runs and the next thing, you know, it's like, it snowballs on him. But um, I think that the biggest thing with him, yeah. And, and we saw, you know, he had a good curveball. And and sometimes it's just it's just one of those nights, right, where where hitters might see you a little bit better than than other teams, and a team might see you a little bit better, and some might swing, some might not, and it's just I think it was just one of those nights for for Jose Barrios, and I feel like we've seen a lot of improvement out of him. Obviously, him getting to the sixth inning, I feel like nowadays, Blake, <laughs> getting to the sixth inning is is a, is a big deal, right? I mean, because starters really don't get the long leash of getting into the seventh, eighth, or ninth, even ninth inning. Um, I feel like that's very, very foreign nowadays. But the fact that he got to the sixth inning and he, he, he didn't miss a lot of bats, but he still got the job done somehow, some way, I think it, it's speaking volumes to, to the work that he's putting in, the confidence that he has in himself. And again, it might not have been the, the start that he wanted, but he still gave the team a chance to win. Yeah, and I think that's something that, you know, like you, that, that kind of circles us back to what you said about Kikuchi at the start, that, you know, if you if you don't start out great, you can still give your team a chance to win, and you can do, you know, you don't have to be perfect to be uh, what the team needs. So someone who's done a great job of that all year is Kevin Gosman. Uh, I want to talk about tonight's matchup because, boy, if you're a pitching nerd, Kevin Gosman against Adam Wainwright is so fun and i don't want to age you here ricky as a means of aging adam wainwright but when you debuted in the majors adam wainwright was already in his fifth season and he's still going and still (laughs) effective man how wild is this for you as a guy like you would have watched him on your way up played against him 
watched him while you were a player and now analyzing him still going. How cool is that? Super cool. And again, it, those are those, those guys that you have to enjoy watching because they're very rare. It doesn't happen very often when you see a guy, you know, pitching that long in the big leagues and his durability, his longevity has been amazing to watch. I still remember him, you know, when he was a closer at one point in his career and he was closing out the World Series with that nasty, the nasty uh, curveball. I still think he's got one of the best uh, Twitter handle names and Uncle Charlie or something like that. (laughs) Uh, and, uh, just, you know, just watching him and the way he's, you know, he went from being a power pitcher to adapting to what he is now. And a guy that has to locate his fastball. And I, you know, we, we get so caught up in velocity and, oh my God, you know, Jordan Hicks throwing 102, but what good does that do if you're not locating? And then you watch a guy like Wainwright go out there and he's not, you know, throwing, he's not blowing anybody's tires anymore. Like he used to where he was, you know, a power pitcher. Now he's a guy that's locating pitching smart and that to me is 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 start of pitching when you're able to do stuff like that when when hitters go back to the dugout and they're talking probably saying like how did i not take him deep in that at bat and and again it's it speaks to his saviness saviness and and just the kind of guy he is now you know he's a guy that's had to adapt to to the game now and and he's adapted to his his new pitching style and and it's really really cool to see Part of that new pitching style is he's, you know, that curveball that was always there for him as the fastball has kind of declined in terms of stuff and velocity, that curveball's become his best weapon. But it's basically his only chance to get in swing and miss stuff. And then it generates a ton of weak contact as well. When you don't have an elite fastball, at least velocity wise, for the curveball to play off of, what makes a curveball like his so special then? Well, <laughs> that's probably something you got to ask him because, <laughs> golly, yeah, and he's so consistent with it. That's the crazy part, yeah. how, how consistent he is with it and how he's able to throw it, you know, one zero, two zero, even 3-2. Like, he's trusted that pitch forever, and it, it just seems like he's always had a feel for it. And curveball's not an easy pitch to have a feel for, but when, when you have a f- good feel for it and he knows what he's doing with it, I mean, it makes his job a lot easier. But we've seen these type of pitchers, you know, the guys that have lasted a long time adapt, you know, to their to their new pitching style. We've seen it with Clayton Kershaw. We saw, you know, and it took Clayton Kershaw a few years to kind of, okay, I'm not the 97, 98 guy I used to be. I got to be this guy now. CC Sabathia went through the same changes too. And obviously we're, we're seeing it with Adam Wainwright. And again, when, when, you have, when you have a feel for your pitch, and I feel like that's going to be, you know, forever his pitch, he's probably going to be 50 years old throwing to his kids and he's still <laughs> going to have, the, you know, that sweet Uncle Charlie. <laughs> right, wait wait a second. You would do that to your kids? I, I know you have young kids too. If you're throwing BP to them, you're you're dropping in some breaking stuff for them? Hell yeah. The only reason why I'm still trying to stay in shape, like, is <laughs> so like, one, I can play long catch with them and when it's time for batting practice or for real, like, I can I can go up there and show them up still. Hell yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so I, I got to ask you this uh, before we let you go here, because we are a couple days away from the deadline. And I know you've been doing a lot of MLB wide stuff, not just Jay's stuff. Uh, when you look around the pitching market out there, starter or reliever, is there someone that catches your eye and you think, man, that, that guy would really fit what the Jays need right now? Okay, well, I'm going to take away Luis Castillo and Frankie Montes sure. out of the equation because I feel like those are the two guys that everyone's like, 
uh, looking for. But I've been talking about Daniel Bard for a while now. Okay. And I wish, you know, he's a guy that's on a one-year deal, $4 million, you know, and I'm sure the Rockies are probably looking to move him and if they can get something right for him. But I'm, I'm just high on him. I like his story. I, I've seen some of his nasty pitches. Uh, and, you know, another guy, obviously, that uh, they'll be coming into town in Gregory Soto, mm-hmm. you know, a guy that, that's a lefty reliever, too, that's nasty out of that uh, Detroit bullpen. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like those two guys for me, because, uh, like, like I said, the, I feel like the starter market is pretty thin, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I feel like relievers are obviously going to be tough to get to because I feel like everyone's going to be gunning for those guys. So it'll be interesting. That's what I'm – I'm 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 curious to see like our team's going to overpay or are they just going to say you know what we'll we'll stay with what we have and and just move forward. Yeah, it's a it's a tough one and it's also tough because there are so many teams in that middle ground, right? Where it's like, well, should you be sellers? Yep. Should you be buyers? And who knows how that'll shake out? Uh, Ricky Romero, I know you are here for a little bit longer, but not a ton longer. How how's your time in Toronto been? Like the you spend like a whole month here. Oh. Uh, the best, man. I, I always love coming back here. Actually, uh, um, we actually just, you know, just because you're my guy, <laughs> I we had early dinner today because it's our my, my wife and my, uh, our anniversary tonight, uh, seven years being married to, to the great Carl Lang. Um, so uh, everything's been great, man. I mean, you know, we've, we've We've done a lot of stuff. Uh, the kids love it here. They actually want us to sell our house back in uh, California and move out here. And I tell them they're crazy. <laughs> uh, well, that's great, man. I didn't realize it was your anniversary, but ha- happy anniversary, first of all. And no, thank- all thanks good. so much for taking the time out, man. I'll uh, I'll let you go now so you don't get in the doghouse. Uh, have a great night and, and uh, tell Cara that I said happy anniversary no, as well. I will. No, no, it's it's all good, man. I mean, this is about the time we we're gonna head home, you know, put the put the kids in the in the bath, and then it's, it's nighttime, and then that's it. You know, that there goes our day. But uh, you know, that's that's what being a parent's all about. But no, thanks again for having me, and it's always fun, Blake. Thanks, man. Uh, enjoy, and again, happy anniversary. Is Ricky Romero of Spinrate Podcast of MLB Network of uh, Sportsnet fairly often these days, and the Jays Care Foundation Golf Tournament. Um, we got about 10 minutes left with you here before we kick it over to Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling on the call for tonight's game on the Sportsnet Radio Network. 7.07, first pitch. Reminder that Blair and Barker are with you for Jays Talk Post Game. Show Ali in baseball control. And I just saw him walk into the uh, into the studio there. Hi, Show. A um, couple questions that we didn't get to in the text line that uh, that are still in there. So let's let's close that out. Pug in Scarborough asks what it would take to get Pablo Lopez. He asks top two prospects. I don't think the Jays would move their top two prospects for Pablo Lopez, uh, um, Gabriel Moreno and Ricky Tiedemann. But the asking price should be high because Miami, as much as they're not competitive right now, they've got control left on Pablo Lopez. And if they don't get what they want this offseason – or sorry, this trade deadline for him. Well, you can revisit in the off season. Uh, you've got a little bit of runway there, and he's young enough and good enough that I don't think the market value is going down a ton. He was actually just outside of. Uh, we had Ben Clemens on it and went through some of his trade value column uh, rankings, and Pablo Lopez was just outside the top fifty as an honorable mention. So uh, I don't think that'll change a ton, even as he inches a little closer to free agency. 
Daryl Incortis asks, uh, what kind of player can the Jays get back for Gordon Groshans at the deadline? This is a tough one for me because I've always been kind of a, not a non-believer in Jordan Groshans, but not as high on him as some people seem to be. He was, you know, the number six ranked prospect in this organization by fan graphs. Some places had him even as high as number three in the organization. And here's my big issue with projecting him forward. Very good plate discipline profile, you know, low strikeout rate, high walk rate. We've seen when things click like that for a guy like Kevin Biggio, um, that that can be an effective major league player. However, even with talk that the triple a balls are a little jumpy this year and offense is way up around triple a over 68 minor league games this year, Groshans has just one home run and he has an isolated slugging of just zero 50. So that's your slugging percentage minus your batting average. Uh, He's slugging just three Oh seven at triple a he's young still it's possible some power develops, but this was always the the swing tool for him. So um, it could be a case of like Austin Martin last year. Um, it's in the eye of the beholder and different teams are going to value a guy like that uh, to very different degrees. I think you could certainly get a reliever for him. Um, but I think if you're looking in at least in the higher end of the starting pitching market or the, even the medium, that meaty middle tier of the the starting pitching market, uh, it's going to be Groshans plus and maybe Groshans plus plus. Um, you know, maybe he has to be the number two guy in a deal at a certain point. But that's a good question. We'll, we'll, we have Keith Law on tomorrow. We'll talk to him a little bit more about that as well. Um, Jeff from Sarnia asks uh, about Tark Skubal from the Tigers. It's a nice target. The asking price is said to be pretty significant because he's still on the younger end and uh, is fairly controllable and inexpensive. And uh, yeah, the Tigers should be sellers, but selling doesn't mean necessarily moving your good young pieces. Um, Adam in North York asks what it would take to get farmer from the Cincinnati Reds. That's a different name that I haven't uh, heard a ton about. I think because people's eyes go to other players on the Cincinnati Reds first farm farmers an interesting one because he's not making a lot. He's pending free agent. He's 31 years old. And I think he's almost certainly going to move. However, he's got a 474 ERA. Maybe it's a buy low. Um, adding a reliever with a double digit walk rate is a little scary to me, even if he does miss bats. But again, if he's not the crown jewel that you add at the deadline, if you add a David Robertson type, a Gregory Soto type, and then Buck Farmer is a lower end guy that you add um, to kind of, you know, fill in that, let's say Trevor Richards part of the bullpen, then yeah, he's a, he's an interesting name and I don't think he'll be expensive at all. Um, thanks for the text in the text line. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow and you can do, you can send us some more at 590, 590. Um, couple quick notes before we go here and we kick it over uh, again, John Schneider going for his ninth win in 10 games today as manager of the Blue Jays, he'd be just the third ever manager to do that. Mark Shapiro speaking between 1230 and 1:30 tomorrow to provide some details on these plans to renovate Rogers center a little bit. And a uh, big, big note ahead of the trade deadline, Gabriel Moreno, now the number one prospect on baseball America's uh, top prospect list. So uh, nice to see that he's back in AAA and has hit the ground running again re-hit the ground running, I guess, uh, and that the scouts and 
that type of um, content is still very, very high on Gabrielle Moreno. Uh, it is Adam Wainwright against Kevin Gosman tonight. Let's quickly give you the lineups one more time. The Cardinals will line up with the same nine as yesterday, just in a bit of a different order. Tommy Edmond, Dylan Carlson, Tyler O'Neill, Albert Pools, Brandon Donovan, Corey Dickerson, Lars Newtbar, Nolan Gorman, and Andrew Neisner. That's a group that has not had success against Kevin Gosman at all. 67 plate appearances, zero home runs, three walks, a minuscule 225 expected weighted on base average based on walks, strikeouts, and batted ball stuff. Uh, Just not a lot of success there. Could be a good night for Kevin Gosman. Of course, no Paul Goldschmidt, no Nolan Arenado uh, in that list there. No Harrison Bader and, and Yadi Molina as they're on rehab assignments. So it's going to be on Adam Wainwright to keep this thing close. Adam Wainwright, almost 41 years old, 340 ERA, doesn't miss bats, a second percentile whiff rate, and he's still got a 340 ERA. Uh, we just talked to Ricky Romero about that nasty curveball and, and how, you know, Wainwright's just, he's got to be at this point one of the, the smartest and most savvy guys in the game uh, to be as effective as he is, uh, as his fastball, you know, gets down below 90 these days. The Jays haven't faced him a lot. Chapman, Tapia, and Springer uh, have a combined 15 plate appearances against them. Three for 15. Chapman has homered off of them. Here's how the Jays line up. George Springer, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Alejandro Kirk at DH, Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Kevin Biggio hits sixth and plays second for Santiago Espinal, Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen catches and hits eighth, and Rymel Tapia gives Lourdes Gurriel Jr. a day off and left. So two lefties in there against Wainwright and Biggio and Tapia mostly what you're used to at least the top five that that rarely changes uh, at this point and can't go wrong picking any nine out of the hat from those 11 guys on the jays right now because everyone's having a good season now that the hot streak has bumped some of those numbers up and uh you know it, it helps insulate against things like george springer has been a little cool of late boba has been a little cool santiago espinal has been a little cool over the last 60 days this has been the best offense in baseball by pretty much every way you can stack up an offense. That has the Jays back in a position of power in the wildcard race. They've got that top wildcard spot right now. Reinforcements are almost surely coming before Tuesday. You know what's a good way to continue to make that case? Win for the 10th time in your last 11 games. Clear another half game or another game in that wildcard race. And then the Detroit Tigers, who are 39 and 59, are coming in for four. The worst offense in baseball, Yusei Kikuchi, back in the rotation. Uh, a lot of fun days ahead. This has been a fun one. Thanks to Adnan Verk, Ricky Romero, and Dan Schulman for coming on. Thanks to JR and Andrew behind the glass. Ben Wagner and Arden's Welling take it over from here. 707 first pitch. Jay's Talk post game with Blair and Barker. Show Ali and baseball control. Jay's Talk Plus is back tomorrow. We'll talk to you from 5 to 7. We got J.D. Bunkus, Arden Welling, Keith Law, and Allison Footer tomorrow. I hope you have enjoyed the show. And hope you all have a wonderful Wednesday as the Jays look to stay oh so hot. This has been Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy on Sports at 590 The Fan.